Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. This week's words are how to, make people lives long, live longer, intolerance, and dental floss. Did you choose intolerance because last week I was crabby about people clogging up the gym? Uh, no, definitely not. That definitely wasn't what I was thinking about at all. I know that one of these stories is designed to irritate me, and I'm in a rare mood today, so there's that. And <laughs> I want to point out that um, I'm not perfect, but I managed to get our last episode uploaded before the government came back online, which is something, if you remember, we were worried about, because remember you texted me and you were like, wait a minute, we talked about the government being closed down, and like by the time you post it, they're going to be open again. But spoilers nope. did not happen. Did not happen. So everyone like that I work out with who works for the government is undergoing seemingly like this grief process about the government being shut down. And I just want to know, is that just because they're not getting paid or like, what is the situation? I think it's because they have to either they're not working and not getting paid or like they are working, but they're not getting paid. I feel like. That is like their major issue, you know. Yeah. So, like they're worried. so like the critical critical need people have to work, um, and so like they in theory would get paid when they reopen, but the people who are furloughed and not working wouldn't necessarily automatically guarantee be back paid for like the time that they missed. Uh, okay, so and people live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So there have been massive call-offs by people working for the TSA. And are we surprised by this? I mean, no, because, like, I think they're calling out because they have they have to work. Right. And so, like, they're trying to make money doing other things. And I, feel, yeah. like, I feel like the TSA, TSA – yeah, I don't think the TSA – I don't think people go into working at the TSA because they're like, I just want to help people. You know, like, that's not what happens. I don't think. Based on the behavior of some of them, I just feel like there's a petty tyrant situation in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases that I feel like is being played out in an airport scale. I agree. It's it's shenanigans sometimes. It's complete shenanigans. Always. You know what else is shenanigans that's happening because the government is shut down? I bet you don't even know about this. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So national parks are having toilet issues. Did you hear about this? Yes. Oh, well. There's not anybody taking care of them. Nobody is scooping out the latrine. (laughs) So they had to like, they shut down Crater Lake National Park, which is a few hours away from me. And a fantastic bike ride if you're in the area, if you're in Oregon, even if you're not, come on out. It's great. But they had to shut it down because apparently they had this one bathroom that was going to be open just from 10 to 4 and that was not adequate for the needs of current park patrons. And they did not give any more details than that. <laughs> but the whole park, I, as far as I know, as of today, it's done. It's not at, we're not, until the government reopens, it's, it's off the, it's off the, I don't know what you call it. It's not an option. No latrine for you. No, not even no latrine. No park entrance access. Like, you cannot go in. Mm. <laughs> because you, ba- you basically cannot be trusted to not use the latrine or to latrine elsewhere. As it were. Okay, I feel like, why do I always get into the toilet humor? This is not me. This isn't who I want to be. All right, Laura, first story. Maybe it is who you are. I know. What if it is? Oh, my God. So So our first story comes from Lifehacker. 
Um, and it's how to be part of the decline in cancer death rates. All right. You're welcome. Okay, no. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is not the story. I don't think this is the story you designed to make me angry. And I haven't read any of it besides the headline so far. But I know it's going to be bullshit. And do you know why? Why? Okay. Because the cancer death rates did decline, but the socioeconomic disparities in healthcare are still driving like major differences in death rates among people of different um, races and genders, but more so race and, and ethnicity and um, income level. So, so everyone's all like, "Oh, there's a decline in cancer death rates," but we're still that's not like, totally addressing that's totally the problem. addressed in this article. Oh. It's addressed in this article. All right, that's that's addressed. All right. Sorry, I said I was so in a rare death mood. death rates from cancer are, <laughs> down, are down from 27% over the last 25 years, according to a new report from the American Cancer Society. Um, and th- this is like a quote. There are many types of cancer, and the big picture is complicated. The report found that racial gra- gaps in death rates are decreasing, parentheses, yay, yay. and parentheses, but <laughs> socioeconomic gaps are widening, parentheses, boo, and parentheses. <laughs> There you go. So it's totally addressed. All right. Your uh, point to get riled about is completely not completely uh, completely taken care of. So I mean, no that's only one sentence. But like, okay, <laughs> but I okay, I'll allow it because you're allowed to write a fun article too, and this is like kind of a how-to. <laughs> so all right, yes. all right, I'm on board. So, so what can we do? So the ways to stop, the ways to decrease. Uh, there aren't any guarantees, but some ways to decrease are quit smoking or don't start. Get screened for colon cancer. Catch breast cancer early. And it talks about how there are pros and cons and how, uh, depending on your age and cancer risk being used appropriately, they can attack cancer in early stages. But breast exams are no longer recommended. Self-breast exams. well and exercise. Yes. So, like, breast exam and, with your doctor, uh, I think, still recommended. Maybe. Doesn't yes. say here. Yes. Uh, get your HPV vaccine and cervical cancer screenings. So, we got it covered for the ladies. Yeah. And we kind of leave it out for the men. Okay. And I'm looking this up now, if you hear the little typing sounds. But, like, I want to say that cervical cancer screening guidelines have been recently changed, right? My God, the CDC is a quote short animated film about cervical cancer. Really? <laughs> Just okay. Okay. 21 to 29. Uh, if your pap test is normal, it's every three years. 30 to 65. If your result is normal, your doctor may tell you you can wait three years. HPV test only. If your result is normal, your doctor may tell you you can wait five years. Or if you're doing both an HPV test and a pap test, this is called co-testing, and both of the results are normal, then your doctor may also tell you that you can wait five years until your next screening. So depending on what you're getting screened for, you may be able to wait five years. And I feel like this is something that has been out, but I kind of was not immediately aware of it. So I'm going to assume this is a good thing to be sharing with our listeners. So check with your doctor. I might be able to wait longer. More screening is not necessarily better. Tangent but over. Be healthy and exercise. <laughs> that, like, we need to keep account of how many articles, like, <laughs> I would love to do some kind of content analysis, which we're never going to have time for, but, like, our mythical future intern can go back to all the stories that we've covered and see how many of them <laughs> recommend eating well and exercising as part of, as part of whatever health trend they're talking about, right? Like, we could talk about almost anything and they're going to be like, but you should eat well and exercise. Exactly. I mean. That's always the answer, Robin. I like 
this article. I think it's very appropriate for this source, like, right? Life Hacker is about, like, quick tips and how to, like, improve your life. I also like this writer, and I want to say her name, but I can't pronounce it, so I feel bad. But it's Beth Skwarecki, S-K-W-A-R-E-C-K-I. She's around, and she's pretty – I've seen mm-hmm. some of her stuff that I liked before. Like, I recognize her name. Also, I think this piece is worth reading. If you're listening, we always put the links to the stories in the show notes. Because they link to a lot of other pieces. Like there's mammograms have their pros and cons is linked. Self-breast exams are no longer recommended has a link. So it's a lot of information packed into a tidy little package here. Also, I'd yes. like to not get cancer. So this is all good. Here's some here's some how-tos. Yeah. Also, remember that day that we had the podcast and I was saying like we should get a little less excited about breast cancer awareness and more excited about awareness for colorectal cancers. And that was one of the tips here was get screened for colon cancer. I feel like people are still embarrassed. Yes. I would be embarrassed. I mean, that's kind of like, not embarrassed, but like, that's a little harder to talk about, I think, you know. Okay. Also, I wish that they would make the HPV okay. vaccine available to a wider age range of people. Cause I think it's like still women under 27 or like, I don't even know. Yeah. I think they have to do more science to to allow that. I know. We need all the science and we need funding for science. And then we need people to believe in science and understand how science works so they don't become super incensed because like not every study is 100% conclusive, which is why we're doing our podcast, right? We are attempting to help the science and help people ask more questions. Okay. Uh, Apologies for that. Ready for the next article? No, I'm looking (laughs) at HPV vaccine information. Oh, sorry. I'm trying to figure this out. Okay. I don't... Okay. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I Obviously, I was going to, like, take this tangent. You you dangled it out there. Okay. So, HPV vaccine, young women through age 26 and young men through age 21 currently. Also, for the following people, if they did not get vaccinated when they were younger, men having sex with men or who intend to have sex with men through age 26. I think they're talking about if you are through age 26 and you intend to have sex with men. That's very confusingly worded. Uh, transgender adults through age 26 and immunocompromised young adults through age 26. So basically women and special circumstances through age 26, men through age 21. And probably that's going to keep changing because that has changed since the last time I checked. And this is from the CDC website. I am bringing you only the most awesome of sources. So there you go. So the next story comes from HuffPost. And it's, does medicine actually make people live longer? Question for you, Robin. Do you think (laughs) that people who were uh, around in, like, hunter-gatherers lived as long as us or less long than us by, like, a lot or a little? Okay, well, the subhead kind of gives it away by saying the truth is our early ancestors didn't all die at 30. But, um, yeah, my impression actually was that our early ancestors died quite young and had much lower quality of life than us. So, knock me over with a feather, HuffPost. So, thousands of years ago, all humans were hunter and gatherers, and life expectancy for those answers was indeed low, in the 30s or so. But, back then, for most of human, and for most of human history, a lot of babies and children drive, died driving down the average age of death. Oh. So people who survived childhood most commonly lived at <gasps> age, lived to 68 to 78 no. years. Boom, eight. I would have guessed like yeah. four, 40 was the max. Okay, so it's, it's like the infant mortality rate. Oh no. Drove it down. Does this mean we have to do the paleo diet? Because mm-hmm. I'm not ready to give up rice. I love rice. But 
after they became farmers, life expectancy went down. Do you know why? Because uh, they were eating less meat? Oh. Not, ne- not necessarily. It's because they were next to their animals. And infectious diseases ah. were suddenly able to go from animals to humans. And um, they also ate less. And so they're the people who were farmers for a long time were more likely to be malnutritioned. Malnourished? Okay, um, okay. But then the most important thing, there's been a boom in our life expectancy that has gone up, but mm-hmm. it's not because of medicine. What do you think it might be? If it's not medicine, what might it be? Uh, like like um, germ, like sanitary practices. Excellent sanitation. So in Boom! the late 19th century and early 20th it. century, they learned about how germs worked. Yeah, you used your logic. Yeah. So well, uh, life expectancy yeah. rose steadily um, from the 1870s, where the average person or American lived to their mid 30s. Life expectancy rose steadily from there, reaching 58 to 65 in 1950. That being said, now we're up to yeah. Okay, but sanitation was such a big part of early public health efforts, as the article points out, that, like, I, I bet some people would argue that sanitation was medicine, like, was part of the field of medicine. Although, you know, like, people washing no, their sci- hands. It was science. Science, yeah. It was science, not yeah. necessarily medicine. What about, like, antibiotics because doctors? That's the that's the Oh, next that's the one. next thing. Okay. So we're not going to live to be 150, is what this article is saying, and medicine is not going to make us all immortal. Oh. I know, right? Oh, bump. No, it actually makes me feel better, because as time goes on, I'm leaning more toward wanting less medical intervention in my life. Not only because, like, for me, I've had some difficult medical interventions, but, you know, are ones that just, like, interpersonally weren't that pleasant. But just because there seems to be just that trend of us realizing that we don't we don't need a screen for everything all the time. It doesn't make difference. That being said, and just because just because we have medicine to make you live longer doesn't mean that you are well. Yeah, so like, that's the other point that this yeah. article makes. So we can extend your life, but you're fucking sick. Yeah, the whole but you time. feel horrific. Okay. Um. So the one thing I don't know if is right in this article is they pointed to medical errors as the third leading cause of death and i mean cdc data does not match that the third leading cause of death is unintentional injuries but that's not just medical errors like i think that is a misrepresentation of the facts like it's not like the third leading cause of death would include medical errors but is not limited to medical errors I would say medical error deaths are very significant and important and blah blah blah, but like you know what I'm saying? Like they're just this is just wrong. Yeah, it's it's based on a 2016 British Journal of Medicine study. They came up with that idea. Yeah, okay. Maybe in maybe they're looking at another country, a different population. Oh, but it says you can't write medical error on a death certificate, so no one's quite clear on how many die that way. Well, no, that is a good point that mm-hmm. we don't really track like it's that's a hard thing to track. Which is one of my, that's one of my questions about, like, I would love to talk to someone about this, about the statistics about overdose deaths and, like, how those get reported, because I'm kind of, like, surprised that that's not on the leading causes of death. So, but I wonder if it gets reported differently. You know, like, does that get reported as, like, a heart attack or a, like, when you have an overdose, how do you actually die? You stop breathing, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. 
This is why my Google search my history is like so, <laughs> so weird. Not helpful to any. <laughs> Man. Wow. There's an article on vice.com called this is exactly what happens when you overdose. Here's a step by step explainer. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Maybe I should. No, let's go through it. Let's just go through it. People are going to be curious. Okay, here's what happens. This is from Vice. People want to know, Robin. People want to know. Okay, so first the drug spreads throughout your body. We're talking about opioids here, either pills or injectables. Then it hits the brain and you start to feel happy. Sure. So you get high, basically. Soon the high Mm -hmm. evens out. Mm -hmm. And even before the rush is over, you might start to nod off. So you're drifting between waking and sleeping. Your breath starts to slow down. So we know that like opioids are a respiratory inhibitor. Your heart rate slows down as the opioid suppresses neurological signals. So I guess there is a neurological signal that goes to your heart and the heart begins to have an abnormal rhythm. At this point, some overdose patients have sudden cardiac arrest and then things begin to shut down. So your body stops receiving the right signals. And so your lungs are barely working. Your heart is barely working. Your brain starts to be damaged by lack of oxygen. And then after a few minutes, there's like permanent brain damage, you know, and then uh, sometimes some less happy things at the very end, foaming at the mouth, choking. But I think I think it kind of depends on on what happens. And some of this gets a little graphic. So I'm going to stop there. But I was just kind of curious, like, do you always, does it, does your heart stop? Does your breathing? So I think it can be, it can be a few different things between brain damage, heart and lungs. So, okay. So those, so what my, my question is then like, do those deaths get reported differently? Like if you, if you overdose and then your heart stops, does that get reported as a cardiovascular death? You know, I really feel I like I'm going to, I'm going to have to figure this standardized out. Standardized or not? Is that standardized or is it just based on the metal examiner's preference? I would think it's like got to be standardized, right? You can't just be like, (laughs) it's up to medical examiner interpretation. Um, I mean, we need to, we need, like, I'm telling you, we need an expert. I might have to do a thing. I I, I need the answer to this question. Like, I need it. Okay. Anyway, back to your article. Now that we've learned how we die through overdoses, (laughs) which was my tangent to a tangent. The point it seems like you're making with this article is what? That medicine is not helping us as much as we thought it would? Yeah. So like Uh, we think that medicine is necessarily this cure-all, but that's not always true. Like we have this idea that the reason why we're living longer is because of medicine, but that's not really uh, the truth. And uh, it does tell us that 115 is really all we can hope for to be. How old we can live to be? This is Which is good because my goal is 100 and, 113. So, because that you want it to be the oldest person? No, not the oldest person. But that way, uh, when it's the turn of the century, they'll interview me on the news, <laughs> and I can re- distinctly remember all three centuries. All three centuries. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. You're gonna have to beat out some 13. other people. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. It, but they interviewed a lady who was like 101. So technically she had been, you know, three centuries old or whatever. But she didn't remember anything from the but first she century. She, yeah. She didn't remember from the first one. So that didn't okay. count. So I thought that was lame. Yeah. So that's I when agree. 113 became my my goal. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, every year you're a step closer to your goal, Laura, and I hope this podcast helps you get there. Um, I also want to point out that the final line in this piece more is more bike lanes and salads will do the trick. 
Meaning that even when we're talking about not like nothing and everything, what's the conclusion that they made? Diet and exercise. Eat diet and exercise. Man. Always and forever. Yeah. This is a, I, I think this is like a fascinating piece. Yeah. I really, yeah. I did good. I mean, this is, yeah, this is a thing I'm going to be talking about for like the next month now. Because like, who knew? <laughs> You're but welcome. it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that lifespans were, were lower. We need to think about lifespan for people who live to age five, you know? Because mm-hmm. if you die as a child, yeah. it's probably not, you know, for these reasons, you know, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Not because of your diet or whatever in this case. So. Right. Yeah. Man, so good work this week. Pay stories. I- You're welcome. The next story comes from Men's Health, and it's you might think you have a food allergy, but you're probably wrong. This wasn't originally so, published uh, on is- Men's Health, though. This has been all over the place. This this story was like the most interesting thing I read this week, and I have been thinking about it a lot. Well, to that end, Melissa Matthews is a health writer for menshealth.com and has written for Newsweek and Men's Fitness Inc. So I think uh, maybe that's why I'm seeing it all over the place. Huh? No, I think I think multiple yeah. outlets covered it with different stories. Well, Melissa is talking about it. Uh, so this story is talking about how people think they have a food allergy when really they just have an intolerance for a food because uh, a food allergy is that you have a life-threatening reaction to it rather than indigestion or uh, pain, pain, gastral distress. Um, so, so that's that's what this story is about. Uh, there was research conducted by Northwestern University that found roughly 20% of people surveyed think they have a food allergy, but only 10% actually experienced the reactions that uh, indicate a true allergic reaction. So basically half the people so that they think did, they have a food allergy are wrong. They they just have an intolerance yeah. for it. And not that they shouldn't avoid the foods that make them ill, but that they don't have a food allergy in which they will, like, die. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so a food allergy is, uh, can be signified, uh, by hives, lips and tongue swelling, chest tightening, um, versus, um, intolerance, which is stomach cramps and nausea after eating them. Mm. So really, if you think that you might have a food, uh, allergy, you should be tested by a professional and not just go with what what you know. Because if you do have an allergy, you might need to carry an EpiPen or you might need to be prepared for a very serious reaction. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, um, I did not know. Go ahead. Yeah. I did not know that there's a milk allergy separate from lactose intolerance, which makes sense. Like you can be allergic mm. to anything, right? Right. But I never yes. thought about it. Yeah. So lactose intolerance is like you lack an enzyme that breaks down milk. And that's separate from being allergic to milk, which could be life-threatening. And then super interestingly, milk is one of the most common, like, quote, actual allergies, along with shellfish and nuts. I think shellfish and nuts, like, Mm. I was kind of aware of. Milk, I did not know. I guess there's not a lot of milk around, so maybe that is why. You know, I don't hear people being like, is there milk in this? Just like straight up milk? Yeah, I I wonder too, like, if you're allergic to milk... Like, isn't milk in a lot of baked goods and, like, pancakes and breads and stuff? Maybe not. I don't know. Because of my intolerances, I don't, I don't need bread anymore, so I don't know. But, like, wouldn't you think? <laughs> I know that, like, the food labeling, there's, like, eight most common allergens, and that's, like, the U.S. 
regulation is you have to put contains da 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 if it's one of the top eight, which includes milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Milk allergy is a mystery to me. No, this was like immediately relevant to me because I thought that I was allergic to cherries, which is just my own sheer ignorance. And I was really excited to like actually clear this up because I saw this story and for some reason I started Googling cherry allergies because so many people have talked to me and been like, I just don't think that you could possibly be allergic to cherries. First of all, you're all wrong. You can be allergic to anything like whatever. But they were right. Your body can be weird. Yeah. Like your body, I'm pretty sure your body can like develop an allergy to a lot of things. Um, Yeah. But in my case, I'm pretty sure that what happened is, is that like I developed something called oral allergy syndrome, which is not really like a disease. It's just a, you know, sometimes we unnecessarily give a name to something. But basically, if you have certain seasonal allergies, you can ha- you can develop like intolerances to certain produce and if you think about it like sometimes the plants are i don't know related or something but so basically it's like a cross reaction so there's like cross reacting allergens that are found in both pollen and like raw fruits or vegetables or certain like tree nuts and so your immune system recognizes the pollen and similar proteins in the foods and then you have this allergic response. And so that is not me. I am lifting that from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, which is where I found the article that I thought was most clear about it. So for example, if you are sensitive to ragweed pollen, you may, but are not necessarily going to have some kind of symptom, which would usually be like itchy mouth, they're saying scratchy throat, little bit of like swelling of the lips, mouth and tongue, itchy ears. So kind of like discomfort in your mouth or head. So ragweed is linked with banana, cucumber, melons, sunflower seeds, and zucchini. Grass pollen is linked to celery, melons, oranges, peaches, and tomatoes. And birch pollen is linked to apples, almonds, carrots, celery, hazelnut, kiwi, pear, peach, plum, and cherries. So... I always had like seasonal allergies as a kid. And I think that that is what happens because it's something that usually pops up in adulthood. I think they said. And because I was just like, how can I possibly be like randomly allergic to this? And it came out of nowhere. So I don't know, though. I have like GI symptoms as well. So maybe it is like an, an actual intolerance. But I'm happy to know that like, yeah, so I'm not allergic to cherries. Like this is what's going on. And maybe it's this cause. Which is all to say that I already took a deep dive on this story. Thank you for picking it. (laughs) Some weeks you pick (laughs) stories and I'm like, I have not heard of any of this. And some weeks I'm like, I've been thinking about this for seven days. Here we go. But you're like not allergic to anything, right? I have no known allergies. That is really good. I wish I could get over mine. I tried to last summer or two summers ago. I ate one cherry and then I ate three cherries. And then the third day I ate five cherries and... The third day wasn't a great day for me. You know, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. So I think I have this theory that like things that pop up could go away. But um, gluten and I are also not friends. And that's been eight plus years. So, so far, my theory hasn't panned out. N equals one. But <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I also would like to know if there's anything about our food supply that's like driving so many people being sensitive or if it's just kind of like a thing that we started measuring more and noticing more or, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. So 
further investigation is needed. All right, you ready for our last article? Yeah. So it's from Science Alert, and it's dental floss might have potential toxic impact that we never knew about. What the heck is Science Alert? What? Is this some bullshit? What is this? I don't know. It's it's talking about a new report that was published in Nature. It was published in Nature. (laughs) I take it all back. I don't know what's. <laughs> I just like I looked at this website and I was like, and like it looks kind of fake, right? Like it, it, like it. The layout is very. I don't know how to explain myself now, but I just looked at this and I was like, is this whole thing made up? <laughs> okay, so apparently not. Go ahead. So there is a uh, type of dangerous class of chemical known as per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. I think it's poly... P-F-A-S. Okay. Close enough. Uh, so they are doing research looking at this, and it's in our water, but it can also be in your dental floss. And it is uh, like a, used because it's water repellent, um, and it's used in everything from furniture fabrics to food packaging. Oh dear. Uh so it's kind of everywhere, but it can also uh it doesn't break down easily and it can accumulate in the tissues of animals. Wait. Um, and so they start <laughs> Did you see this paragraph in the middle? It says a little under a year ago, the EPA held a summit to address allegations of high levels of PFAS in the drinking water of 33 states. Next paragraph. Unfortunately, media was that should be were. Banned from the event. Yes. Media <laughs> were banned from the event, so it's not clear what the government's current assessment of the risks are. And that should be is. It's not yep. clear what the assessment of the risks is. Because it's assessment. The, the verb should be matching assessment, not the prepositional phrase of the risks. <sighs> Thank you, editor. You're welcome. Not important to the basis of the I mean, I, mean I, feel, I feel like getting the... Plurality of the verb correct is like somewhat necessary for the legible or like the understandability of the story. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm too mad. Carry on without me. <laughs> so this is a thing and they're concerned about it. But now they have found that it is in uh, your dental floss as well. Which is just offensive because we get, we get like yelled at to floss all the time. Right. Right. Um, so. There are flosses that don't contain it, but uh, it's analysis of the threads in 18 different brands showed levels of the fluorine indicated of the PFSA by is being used as a coating. Specifically, several types of Oral-B Glide were implicated and two similar generic brand competitors. So, uh, um, they need to do more research, but <laughs> as a more informed decision more informed decision about your uh flossing uh uh type uh strategies Hmm. wait i don't they said that this was published in nature but the study it links to was published in the journal of exposure science and environmental epidemiology and the study they're referencing if they gave us the right link which i think they did is studying blood concentrations of this substance in african-american and non-hispanic white women so in women of certain yes yes okay no no but it lists it lists oral b on in the on nature did you did you find it in nature oh no it is nature.com oh so it's 
Yeah, like we're on – that's weird. We're on Nature's website, but it's linking to another journal. What does that mean? And it – I don't know, but it definitely says Oral-B. Wow. That Blessing is, with Oral-B. That is not good news for the makers of Oral-B, except for I feel like this story hasn't been picked up all that much. Yeah. Right? Like I didn't even see it, and I like look at this stuff. That is interesting. Okay. You're most, welcome. Most important – yeah, thank you. Jesus, you're awesome. Like this week. Man, rockstar quality stories. <laughs> I'm going to stop reading the news. I'm just going to have you send me four stories every day. I'm going to read those. Okay. Question, obvious question that you know I'm going to ask, but the people must know, Laura, do you floss? No. Well, I think you're in the majority. I think most Americans don't floss. I think I saw that somewhere. I know I'm supposed to. I just don't. I do. I do for for two reasons. And one of my reasons is going to help convince some people who are listening. So, okay, get ready. My first reason, which is not the convincing reason, is that my jaw is wonky. And I used to think that if I flossed more, I would have fewer cavities. And like, if I have to get a filling, like getting a filling plus wonky jaw can mean like an unhappy, semi-painful afternoon slash evening for me. And I don't want that. So I was like, I'm going to floss all the time so I won't get cavities. Now it turns out that flossing, while great for your gums and subsequently good for your like heart, because there's like a link between your gum health and your cardiovascular health, which I don't even think we have time to get into. But anyway, so like flossing is good for you, but does not, is not one of the things that prevents cavities. Okay. So that's one, my personal reason. But then also some dental hygienists told me that if you are going to brush or floss, but not do both, that your teeth will be cleaner or like somehow it's better if you just floss. So there would be like a random night where I'd be like, oh, I'm too tired, blah, blah, blah. And then I would just floss. And then I would be like, oh, this feels so gross. And then I would be like compelled to brush my teeth too. And so then I just got in the habit of always flossing. And now I floss every single day. And I want to tell you, like, I went backpacking for the first time this summer and I flossed while backpacking. Kudos to you. I know. Either that or like I'm terrifically unfun. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this goes one of two ways. Like you either think that's awesome or you hate me right now so (laughs) if you do hate me we've got like 38 other episodes listen to those instead it's fine you'll get over it laura did (laughs) (laughs) um i want to know if people floss okay oh man how how do you do you want them to tweet the bad patient yeah okay you can tweet us at the bad patient if you floss or if you don't and tell us why tell us how much you floss and why. But I was looking up to see how often people floss. And I found this article in US News and World Report. Eh, okay. Um, so they looked at people who floss daily, those who never floss, and those who fall somewhere in between, which would be, which would be basically everyone. I just, I don't know if I really trust them, but like, okay, they're saying they, that a nationally representative analysis, that's a silly way of phrasing that, but okay. Um, found that people who floss daily amount to 30% of the population. 37% report less than daily flossing, but some flossing. And slightly over 32% say they never floss. So I guess it's about even. It's about split. Okay, they're saying the study was conducted by someone at the CDC, who I think we've established that I trust. Yeah, data from nine more than 9,000 U.S. adults 30 and up between 2009 and 2012. Among the findings, men were more likely to report never flossing at 39% than women, 27%. 
People 75 and older were more likely to never floss than people 30 to 44. Uh, that was 45%. And low, uh, of course, always like socio socioeconomic factors always come in. Low income participants, 49%, were more likely to report never flossing than those in higher income brackets, 28%. They're off the hook. Mm, okay. So a third of people do it all the time. A third of people never do it. A third of people do it sometimes. So no matter what you do, there are people like you. Always and forever. Are we ready for my health fascination? Because I've been waiting to tell you this for at least an hour and it's burning a hole in my mind. Okay. So I talked to a friend today and said friend informed me that they do not eat organic food. And, you know, okay, like, sure. But usual reasons people give me for not eating organic is like, it's really expensive and uh, questionably nutritionally better. Like there have been some studies that are like, eh, like nutrient density could be, I haven't looked into that recently, but there was like at least one study, I think last year that was saying that like, it's not more nutritious, but usually people are like, it's costly or they, or they, they're not sure they trust that it's really organic. Like that idea that like, it's all the same dirt. How do they really separate it? And like science doesn't really support that idea as much, but this person was saying more looking at it as like, it's not sustainable. It's like that organic farming practices are not sustainable and that it just drives up the cost of food. And then it like encourages the use of like pesticides and things that are less effective. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's true. I didn't have time to like look it up. It just came up. But I was like really curious about what you think. Because I could see definitely some of this being true. But, but like, I don't, I don't see it as using less effective pesticides. I was kind of hoping they weren't using pesticides or they were using like natural things as pesticides. Like, I thought the whole point of this was that we were trying to put less poisonous substances into the earth and into our bodies. So I'm like shocked mm-hmm. by this whole situation and I want to know like what's the truth. And since I don't know that yet, I want to know what you think. I think you you are dangerously close to giving out fake news on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not trying to say it's news. I'm trying to say it's my current health fascination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that uh, is an interesting uh, way to look at it. I had never thought about it in that light. Um, I am not sure that the alternative is necessarily better. Right. I would yeah. contend that may- maybe current modern uh, tactics for um, food productions aren't necessarily any better for the planet than or worse than organic. I, I wouldn't have thought that it was necessarily would have made it worse. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if that logic holds for me. Like, so you, you use less effective pesticides instead of more deadly pesticides like uh, you know yeah like, it's kind of a toss-up for me it's like we create like, a both l- seem like not great <laughs> yeah like we can we can create a larger amount of less healthy food or a smaller amount of healthier food you could argue for either side of that i think the point the point about organic being out of the price range of low-income families is well made right it's yes. just it's another it's another have have not but yeah i don't i don't know that i want to say, well, organic is expensive and they're producing smaller crops, so forget about it. 
makes me want to make organic better or makes me want to find a way yeah. to get higher quality food to low income people. But I Yeah, and part of the part of that way is uh normalizing the food practices so that it is less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um in the same way like technology is much more attainable for the average person than it was, you know. Yeah. 50 years ago or whatever, you know, like where only the very richest would have had access to it. So I can see, I can see the point, but I'm not sure if it's something that I'm willing to be like, yeah, so therefore I won't use it. I'm just yeah. Not sure. Like there, there, I think there's a solid argument in there and I think I'm still gonna eat organic and when I can. Yeah. Especially with the, your the animal, your choice. animal <laughs> products types of things. Yeah. Like I think there's, Mm-hmm. Some I have some concern about how animals are treated in in the whole organic or non. Like I have some concerns about killing them to eat them, and I've gone back and forth on this in my own existence, eating meat, not eating meat, blah blah blah. But yeah, but I my belief, which maybe I need to look into, is that the animals that are raised and the meat becomes organic are treated better. Now, who knows, maybe they just have better marketing. But um, like, I think sometimes those things go hand in hand, like people that want to raise them organically are also concerned about some of these cruelty issues. But I don't know. I mean, I suppose I haven't, like, that's something to to check out. But yes, I was told this, and then my head exploded. So I had to to bring it to the podcast. So what is your current event that you see as being a driving factor in health news? Um, so right now there, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the, um, Indian health, uh, services that there are for native peoples. Um, not familiar. They are partly funded by, um, the Department of Interior, which is currently closed, uh, which means that, uh, it is impacting people's ability to utilize some health care. Um, and it's a particularly sometimes vulnerable population. And once again, the federal fucking government is fucking them over again. I know. Yay. Yay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In other news, the shutdown's not really helping anyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just preventing people from getting different things, Mm -hmm. including this thing. One more impact that I don't think is necessarily getting a whole lot of coverage. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see a lot of issues, like a lot of stuff about Native Americans coming out through the news, but they basically could be a part of almost any story about the environment, right? Like any story about healthcare. I think sometimes we're still, we're still, as people in a majority, forgetting about these other groups. Team and so, everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. They still exist. They do. They still have needs. Yes. So, yeah. All right. So... We still exist on Twitter. We're at The Bad Patient. You can send your story ideas to hello at thebadpatient.com. We hope you'll rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your media. And we want to say a special thank you to our theme song composer, Evan Schaefer. Thanks, Evan. You can listen to his music on soundcloud.com. Until next time, we're a bad patient. 